The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word now to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is the focus of our uh, attention now, and it's also the last message in our walk portion of our authentic series. Next week, just uh, by the way, is our two-year anniversary, right? Who's ready to celebrate that and what God has done among us? That's right. So we're excited. We'll be right back here for uh, that worship service and just a fun morning celebrating the faithfulness of God and looking ahead to what he's gotten store for us. But uh, today is, uh, is, is this last portion in this uh, authentic series as we've been looking at what it means to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and to work for Christ. And so next month, guess what we'll be on? We've already done worship in August. This month we focused in on what it means to walk with Christ. And so what's it next month? Work for Christ, that's right. So we'll be, we'll be there uh, this next month. And each of these W's, is, if you've been around our church for a while, you know this, but each of these W's uh, has a personal aspect and also a corporate aspect, doesn't it? We worship Christ personally, but we also gather together corporately to worship him. Uh, our walk with Christ is, is uh, no different. And that's really what we focused on this uh, earlier part of this month is what it means to walk with Christ personally as we devote ourselves to the spiritual disciplines of walking in newness of life, of walking in wisdom. Uh, but today for this last one, we're, we're gonna hone in on what the word teaches us about walking with Christ in community. In community, how do we do this together and what really makes our gathering unique? What is it that defines us? What is it uh, that makes us uncommon, different than every other gathering, every other grouping that you are a part of? Work groups, school groups, extracurricular activities. What makes the church distinct? Have you ever thought about how different the church is? Have you ever thought just how supernatural this is? that a multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of people would commit to worship, walk, and work together for his glory, our good, and the advancement of the gospel? Have you ever thought about that, how uh, not just this local church, our gathering here, but how we are among a community of faith that spans the globe, that spans uh, languages and cultures, It's a pretty profound thing, is it not? And so what is it that defines us? Well, Hebrews 10 is one of those passages that keys in on the uniqueness of this uncommon community. So what do you say that I read it, you follow along, and you keep a pen handy in case there's something you want to underline in it? All right, we do that. I'll read it, you follow along, and keep a pen handy. Want to do that? All right, let's do it. Here's God's word for you. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Follow along as I read it out. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word for God's people. What a great passage, right? If you guys that were at the men's breakfast yesterday, man, this sounds familiar. That's right, because it's one of the passages Brian referenced, uh, probably not knowing that uh, it was one that I was preaching today. Um, and that's, that's all right. It's a great passage. It's pre- preparation for us. I think the Lord wants us to hear it. But what I've just read is, a, is really a summary passage of what the writer of Hebrews has said in the first 10 chapters, as he has uh, labored to show that Jesus is better, right? You know this, we've been in Hebrews before, or if this is new to you, write it there in the margins. Hebrews is about this simple theme. Jesus is better. He is better. His life and death and resurrection accomplished our salvation. And because of what Christ has done, what he exhorts us in this passage then teaches us how to walk in faith. Just to kind of give you a little bit of an overview, it's here, and then Hebrews 11, which you're probably familiar with as well, it gives us those biblical examples of people that have walked in faith, and then you have more specific commands in chapters 12 and 13. But first, first, he calls us to deliberately walk in community really three times. As you probably noticed as I read this, you saw let us, let us us. He's speaking communally. He's pointing us really to Christ's work and his invitation that we come to as a group of people. And so these first three verses here, we could sum up because Christ invites us in. If you're taking notes, that's what uh, that first point is, because Christ invites us in. Do you see this here? He, he, in verse 19, look there with me, he says, therefore, that's the summary word as he sums up the first part of the book and he says then brothers right away he's calling us by our identity as really brothers and sisters we could even translate this as siblings all right he's he's referring to this familial sense and this is really important because you know what makes our uh, community unique it's that we are a family y'all we are a family. This word here, this what you see as brothers, is used 190 times in the New Testament to refer to believers, to refer to the authentic family of God, a blood-bought family, a family that has been brought together by Christ under God as our Father. Isn't this awesome? Therefore, brothers, look here. Uh, therefore, siblings, he's, he's, the writer here is bringing us in. He says, since we, this collective, this community, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, is this a little confusing? Like, you read this, maybe you're like, what in the world? We're talking about blood and sprinkling and washing and consciences. What in the world is he talking about here? Well, let me just begin by saying this, we have confidence to come into the presence of God. What he's referring to in these uh, first passages is the work that Christ has done to bring us into his family. There's no wondering about our place. There's no question about what our last name may be or what our standing is in the family. If you've repented of your sin, if you have trusted in Christ and Christ alone to be your savior, you're part of the family of God. And if you're unsure of that, if there is a lack of confidence in your own soul this morning, 
You can be sure right now. You can be sure right now. You just turn to Christ. Just tell the Lord, hey, I know that I've been trying to do this on my own. I feel the unsettledness. I don't know the confidence that this verse talks about and I want to know it. Then let today be the day of your adoption into God's family. Let today be that day. It's all because of Christ. It is not because of our work. But look here is what he's saying here. Look, look at your, your copy of God's word here and look what he says. He says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, the new and living way that he what? That he opened through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and now we have or since we have a great high priest over the house of God. We just sung some lyrics just like this. And so what does this mean? Well, in the Old Testament system, the old and dead way compared to the new and what way? The new and, what does it say? The new and living way, the old way, there was one place that God dwelled. One place in the temple or the tabernacle where God dwelled and that was the, where he dwelt was in the center portion in the Holy of Holies and there was a massive curtain, different than our curtains here. I'm not trying to set up a tabernacle. It's kind of like it, but in the center part there was a heavy curtain where God's presence was uh, symbolically said to dwell. And no one, because of our sinfulness, no one could approach that. But for once a year, the high priest, and there was all kinds of rituals and things that he would go in and he would approach, but uh, you and I couldn't do it. The average person can never come into the presence of God. We would go with, if we... (laughs) It was, it was the wrong kind of confidence to try to approach that if you were not the high priest on that one day a year to come into the presence of God. It was actually probably foolishness to do it because he would be struck dead to come into his presence. And so we, we kind of miss that, I think, in our context. Because today, as New Covenant believers, as believers in Christ, we know the reality and the beauty and the confidence that it is to now be able to approach the throne of God with confidence because of what Christ did, not what we did to earn our place there. And Christ, what does he do? He invites us in to this new and living way, the old way that is dead now, the, this imagery of the Old Testament, but now we, beloved, now we have full, free, and unhindered access. Do you realize that? There's no priestly middleman needed And I don't occupy that as your pastor. I don't occupy this mediatorial position. I'm not a middleman. I don't have any special access to God that you don't have. You know that? Like, man, well, then I don't need to come to church. Like, what am I here? Listen, this guy. See, we are a body of Christ. The foot of the cross is level. There's no special access. Yes, I love that I get to pray for you. Yes, I love that I get to open God's word with you, but it is not because I have been specially uh, granted access into the throne room of God. You ever been denied entrance anywhere? You ever had special access to go do something that you've never done before? Recently, I got to go hunt at a sportsman's club a club that has a waiting list of 108 people to get into. It's like a big pocket, it's like 12 grand or something, I guess, to like one-time, lifetime fee to get in and hunt on this property. And then you have to pay as you go, but I got to go because I knew somebody that had done that. 
I got to go hunt there and it was great. I was given special access, unhindered. I was with confidence I could enter onto this property to go hunting. It was a glorious hunt, by the way. Um, but pales in comparison to the special access that we have because Christ paid the penalty for us to be in the presence of God. Isn't that glorious, y'all? Isn't that glorious? And he invites us in. He invites us in. Jesus as our great high priest over the house of God. And it is precisely because of this life-altering truth, it is precisely because of this invitation that makes us an uncommon community. And really as such, as an uncommon community, because Christ invites us into the presence of God, there are some characteristics that should define us. There are some things that then become true of who we are, of what makes up our community, our church, us as a body of believers. And I wonder if we were just to take a minute to survey uh, the people in the room here, is what would you say should define the people of God? What should define us? Now we won't, but maybe it'll make a great uh, conversation this week in small group, huh? What should define us? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us three things. Because Christ invites us in, first he says we are a holy community. Because Christ invites us in, first we are a holy community. Look at verse 22. Well, maybe we should say a healthy community because in these three verses he begins with different kinds of lettuce. Get out of here, y'all. Go back to my day job, right? He says, no, we should be a holy community. He says, let us draw near then with a true heart or with a sincere heart. We are a holy community. What he's saying is the door is open. Now walk through it, right? The door is open, now walk through it. Jesus invites us in, we draw near, we come, and what? He approaches us, he is not distant. James says it this way in James 4, 8, he says, draw near to God, and then what? And he will draw near to you. So picture it that way, picture it that way, like Christ invites us in, now we can come over, the door is open, so we draw near, and then we come into the house, and now it's not like, uh, okay, now where's the Lord, you know, it's not like a, a kind of an aloof uh, a host who doesn't greet you, but no, he's there. He draws near to us and brings us in. He calls to say, come on in, we come on over, and then he draws near to us, and that then, as we are in the presence of God, it is his holiness that both gets us in and then also helps us to stay in. So look at this in verse 22. He says, let us draw near. And he gives really four conditions of drawing near. Did you see this? These four conditions, he says, let us draw near with a true heart or a sincere heart, a devoted heart, a committed heart, an authentic heart. See, coming into the presence of God, being an authentic believer is not just a joke. It's not a fad, it's not a something that we just do because others are doing it or because our parents said uh, this is what we should do or our parents just brought us here. No, we come to the presence of God. Our, our community is defined by being of true or sincere, devoted heart. This is how we draw near. We don't just traipse in, but we come with a true heart. And second, look at this, in full assurance of faith. In full assurance of faith. This is linked then, our assurance is linked to the confidence we have of what Christ has done that has brought us in. To say the full assurance of faith is important because this is, we could say a different way, trusting Christ. 
We come in not sure of our own actions, of our own work, of our own uh, inherent goodness, like why wouldn't God want me to be in his presence? No, we come with the full assurance of faith. And what faith says is that Christ paid the way for us to be here. He goes on, and then he says, he uses this language. Look, at maybe you're confused by it. It says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Well, what's that referred to? Like, what? He's speaking of the internal change. He's really talking about our justification. He's using Old Testament language to describe a reality that has happened to us. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And so just as they would approach the presence of God and they would have to sprinkle with blood and all those like gory things that you read in the Old Testament, what he's saying that is because of what Christ has done on the cross, the death that he died, our hearts have been sprinkled clean and therefore we are declared righteous. We are holy not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. And so this internal change, this evil conscience that all of us are born with, this heart that is desperately wicked, God by his spirit has come and sprinkled it clean, given us a new heart. He's declared us holy. And that, if our heart is changed, then our actions follow too. And that's this last condition, this with our bodies washed with pure water. Well, that's kind of interesting, right? Like, okay, we get bloody and then now we get washed off. Like, what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about their ritual purity. Again, using Old Testament language to describe a new life that is walked uh, in holiness. It might be tempting to read this and think, oh, well, maybe he's talking about baptism. Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking in the same sense of like Romans 6 or in Titus 3, 5, where we've been washed with regeneration, right? It's this uh, imagery that we now, our bodies, our actions, we live a different or a distinct life. It is very different from the way that the world works. This is how we draw near to God. We come near to him. He invites us in, and so we come with a committed heart, being declared right by God, and now desiring to live in holiness because of what God has doing. Christ made it possible, and now the Spirit makes it powerful. And this is not of our own doing, beloved. This is not of our own doing. This holiness that defines our community This holiness that defines our community is not just like, okay, we live like clean, upright, and maybe even uptight lives. But it is a call to live a devoted, distinct life that in every culture, in every era, stands out from the rest. It is an uncommon community that draws near to God in faith, and as we do so, we go vertical together. We go vertical together. Our hearts and our minds are turned towards Christ and what he has done. Some draw near together in front of a TV because they love the same football team. Some draw near to a school because their kids attend there. All of us draw near to HEB because we're hungry. But we draw near, we draw near to the Holy One because we desire holiness, 
because Christ has bought it for us and we then pursue it together. Do you see this? Let us, let us, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us do it together. Let us pursue Christ and we can't without him nor can we without one another. But he goes on, there's a second thing that defines us. Because Christ invites us in, not only are we a holy community, we are also a hopeful community. A hopeful community. Look at verse 23, he says then, again, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What does it mean to hold fast? It means to grip it tightly, to bear hug it. You know, it's like being in a, in a car with a really bad driver. And you're in the passenger seat and you grab a hold of those like handles and you're gripping it tightly right? Because you're afraid. A few months ago when I was in Haiti and we were flying that little puddle jumper over the, the mountains and it was in the afternoon and there was a whole bunch of turbulence and I was sitting there just like, I hope this dude knows how to fly a plane. You know, he's kind of checking his phone up there and looking at stuff and we're just like, I was sweating and I was just trying to hold on to something. I was like, I don't know if we crash, at least I'm holding on tightly. And I have this little belt around my lap that will keep me safe, I guess but in the turbulence of life, we hold fast to the gospel. It's because Christ that invites us in, we cling to his work, or, or what this says is the, the confession of our hope. And what is that? What is the confession of our hope? It is precisely this, it is the gospel. Isn't the gospel uh, the, uh, the source of our hope as believers? Isn't this what we hope for, not just uh, in future sense? Like that, that's a, a, a wild thought in and of itself. The hope that we have of heaven, of eternal, being in, eternally in the presence of God, but the hope that we have now, that confident expectation that better days are ahead. And it is the gospel that gives us that hope. And even more broadly than that, it is our doctrinal statement, the confession of our hope, the things that we confess to be true the things that we rally around as a body of believers to say this is what is true and that's why we have a doctrinal statement. That's why we have these things in our life because it's like this is what we think is true and these things, these specific elements that we have said are, are true and that, uh, we, that, that, that also they produce hope in us. They're not just things to, uh, you know, to, uh, to debate about. They're not just things that are meant to divide us no, these are the essentials of the faith that we center on and turn our attention to Christ on. They are the things of the gospel so that we can walk without wavering. You see that? This is all about confidence. Like what Christ has done on our behalf produces this unwavering confidence in our life. We can hold fast without wavering, without letting go, without, uh, without shaking. Why? Well, what does it say? For he who promised is faithful. Faithfulness creates confidence. Unfaithfulness creates uncertainty. But faithfulness creates this type of confidence and certainty that we need to live in an uncertain world. It was just this week reading in my own devotions in Psalm 26, verse one, and David says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. I'm like, who can say that? I 
don't think David here is making necessarily a boast of his own faith, but he's done so without wavering because of the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. If a, if a product that promises to last a lifetime but it breaks on, on the first try, you'll think twice before buying again, won't you? But if it delivers on its promise, you will be a sold customer and buy that product only, always, and forever. And beloved, God always comes through on his promises. You can always take him at his word. Here, our church, as we gather, as we even come to this two years, as we look ahead, we are holding fast to what Christ said, that I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We hold fast to Christ's words there in great hope. We are bear-hugging the gospel. We are bear-hugging Christ's words. We are gripping it tightly and walking in faithfulness as we unapologetically proclaim the word of God, as we unashamedly worship the Son of God, as we unceasingly pray in the Spirit of God, and as we, unash- and as we unafraidly share the good news about the Son of God to the people of God, as we cling to these pillars, we build on it, and God is faithful, and we have hope for the days ahead. So we are an uncommon community that holds fast in hope and goes forward together, arms locked in unity around our common confession of faith and our eyes locked upward on Christ, looking to him to come through as our community is defined by hope, a hope in Christ no matter what. And I wonder today if maybe you need to rehearse the hope that you have in the gospel. Maybe in your own life you're feeling a little hopeless. You don't know what to believe. And maybe you're disappointed because it seems that God hasn't come through. I would just encourage you even today, especially this week, that you write down the things, those things that are troubling you and then you search the scriptures for hope. You search the scriptures for promises that you can cling to, a confession of the scriptures that you can bear hug If you don't know where to go, if you don't know where, if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, then praise God for your small group and the other brothers and sisters that have committed to you that are devoted to your holiness that can come alongside to help you find in the scriptures the hope and the help that you need. See, beloved, we are a holy community defined by our holiness and our hopefulness. And last, in these last few verses, we are a habitual community community. You'll find that the more hopeful we become in Christ, the more habitual we become in living it out. Because Christ invites us in, we are a habitual community. All of us have habits, don't we? All of us have patterns of living that we stick to because we enjoy something. A TV schedule, a football schedule, uh, uh, whatever it might be. We have habits that we cultivate in our life because we enjoy it. And so what type of habits, what kind of habits define an uncommon community? Well, they are habits of engagement and habits of encouragement. 
He begins in verse 24. Again, here's this third let us. Let us as believers, ready? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love this verse. I love, I, I love just how powerful these words are here. Really how provocative these words are here. When he says, let us consider, he's not just meaning like, hmm, maybe I should consider it. Like some sort of philosophizer just uh, debating, you know, and, and considering things. No, the, the biblical idea of to consider means to weigh the options so that you can act upon them. Let us consider then what? What are we considering? How to stir up? Isn't that a good word? Like picture a big pot, like we're stirring it up, right? We're getting all the parts and pieces going. We're stirring it up. Your translation may say spur on. It should bring to mind like images of riding a horse and spurring them. What, why do we spur? To hurt the horse? No, to make them go faster, right? Your, your uh, translation may say to provoke or to incite. What's really interesting about this word here is that it's most common used in the negative sense. It's used of rioting. You know, like here we're being commanded as believers to, uh, to incite a riot. Right? And you see it in the book of Acts as, a, as a, the, uh, the people against the people of God, of God's enemies, they are inciting a riot to go after Paul. You watch the news and you know what, a, what, that you see crowds of people because they're upset about something and so they're inciting it and there's like glass bottles flying and signs being carried and people shouting angrily. Is that what we're to do, church? No, we're to consider how to provoke one another to what? Love and good works. Love and good works. See, we don't just show up to church. We don't just show up to small group. We don't just show up to a, you know, a gathering of God's people to consume, to you know, just receive. We are to consider as we come how we might provoke the people around us to love the Lord and love one another and be involved in good works more. That's the attitude. Those are the things that we should be thinking about on the drive on Sunday mornings. On our drive to small group, on our drive to men's and women's group, on our drive to a meeting with uh, another brother or sister in the faith. We can incite an angry crowd or we can incite a loving, serving church. And this is the job of all of us. This is how we deliberately, purposefully, uh, on the ready uh, to provoke one another to love and to serve, and this is habitual. For the authentic follower of Christ, this is not optional. But these are the habits that define us. The habits that define us. See, he goes right into the negative then in verse 25, because how do we do this? Well, we do it when we meet together. And so there is this like warning saying, hey, but if you neglect to do, as is some habit, how can you do that? If you're not here to provoke to love and good works, then how can we do? And apparently their habits were, uh, in, to the, writer, the audience there that the writer of Hebrews is, is addressing, is not much different than American trends and habits. You might have seen this, you know, Lifeway, Barna, all the research groups, they have all the data that those that, you know, call themselves Christians, those that profess to be believers, the, the average attendance is like one to two Sundays a month. And that's like, when you come to church. 
It's not necessarily habitual, that would define convenience. But because when Christ invites us in, our attendance habits then begin to change. When we really understand why it is that we gather, when we really understand what Christ has done and that we go vertical together and that our purpose in coming is is to uh, provoke one another, that our habits of engagement and encouragement change, this is why we show up. This is why we come, because I have the responsibility to stir up the people that God has put in my life and to encourage them. You see that? And encouraging one another. That literally means to come alongside, to exhort, to encourage. And there is somebody even here this morning, maybe sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you, that needs the encouragement that God has appointed you to bring to that person. Maybe they need some love. Maybe they need your service. God has gifted you in a very specific way that they need. No one in here is unimportant. All of you are here because God has you as a part of this community, whether this is the first Sunday you're with us or you've been with us since the beginning. But don't miss the connection here between how love and good works are attached to being a part of the body of Christ, of your presence. And even though we live in a digitally connected age and we can encourage one another digitally through phone and text, there's nothing quite like the meeting together of the body of believers to provoke one another to love and good works. The love of the gospel produces these things in us. The, the, the love and good works that have changed our life and that is the remedy for all the world's problems. And so as we gather together, it's not just like a, a, a holy huddle and then we go do our things. No, this is meant to be a motivating uh, a gathering of God's people that we are ourselves filled up, that we are ourselves incited and then we all scatter from here meeting together, interacting with one another's lives, but we are then a motivated, uh, gospel-motivated, spirit-empowered body of believers ready to take the message of love through our good works to the community that's around us, amen? This is why we gather. We are a habitual community. So here are some habits so you can increase in your engagement and encouragement. It's real simple. Here's just some things that I would encourage you to do. One, come early. Come early so you can interact with the people around you, so you can be the uh, recipient and the giver of love and good works. Come early, and then second, stay late. (laughs) Stay late. Uh, Yeah, they kick us out of here at 12.30, but hopefully soon we'll be over there, but it is all right. Take people home with you or go out to lunch afterwards come early stay late come with a desire to impact a person like i don't know i can't incite a crowd i'm kind of meek i don't you know like people and not my hey the imagery is here maybe it's hyperbole but the idea is true like you don't have to come like we're not all here to like start riots and like a bunch of chaos you know but we are here to impact intentionally deliberately purposely as we come to church who can i impact today And the last habit to develop, we come early, we stay late, we impact a person, and we grow in the truth. 
This is we gather. Every time we gather, come purposefully. Come with these things on your mind. Even not just on Sundays, but to small group as you're gathering with God's people. We don't show up. We don't arrive to leave. But we show up. We come early. We stay late. We impact a person and we come with the desire to grow in the truth. What am I learning? What am I taking away? What is, the, what is one truth that has been impressed upon my soul this morning? This is what we do. These are the habits that define us. This is our community. Every time we gather, we seek the Lord's presence. We seek to stir one another up in an uncommon community that stirs up one another in love goes outward together with the love of Christ and the proof of good works, living on mission to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, we are an uncommon community, an uncommon family, are we not? Walking together in authentic faith, God putting each of us in one another's lives that we are always growing, forever learning, constantly pursuing Christ, devoting ourselves to the great commission together. Together, and Christ has invited us in personally, yes, personally to walk with him, but also communally together which is ultimately what we remember every time we take communion, isn't it? We remember this every time. We remember the glorious truth of Christ's work to to tear that veil apart, to call us as his children in, into fellowship with God. Communion is what reminds us of the need for holiness, for who can traipse into the presence of Lord covered in sin. It's what makes it so serious. It's why we live in an ongoing way, repenting of our sins, seeking forgiveness. We don't just traipse into God's presence. I myself have had to do this this morning. We're a holy community. We're a hopeful community. As we take communion, don't we think of the hope of Christ's return? And even in remembering back on his death, we remember that he is today alive. He's not still hanging on the cross. He's not still buried in a tomb. Where is he now? He is alive, interceding for us. And this is something that we do habitually, seeking to love one another. God has given us this to, uh, to stir up in us, to motivate us to love and good works. And so this morning we are. We're gonna take communion. We're gonna remember what Christ has done. And so as we prepare, maybe you need to prepare your own heart. Maybe you need to get your heart ready with the Lord, even right now as we uh, seek to come to the Lord's table. And so as we prepare, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask our worship leaders to come up. Our ushers will come in just a moment. But would you just pray with me for a moment as your own heart is being prepared? Let's pray together now.